You're listening to Sage Spirituality, reaching back, leaning in, and seeking out a deeper experience with God, with your host, Joel Marvin. Welcome to another episode of Sage Spirituality. My name is Joel Marbot, and I am so grateful to be hosting this episode today, and I'm excited about today's conversation. I want to invite you to come up to the table. Let's take a little bit of time, and let's talk about some things that are going to change eternity in our lives. But before we do that, I want to take the opportunity to ask you for a huge favor. I want to ask you to subscribe. I want to ask you to rate. And I also want to ask you to share, guys, every week we're growing and growing and growing in the number of people that are sitting at the table with us, uh, listening to the podcast. I've had incredible feedback, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our community is affecting a change in the lives of so many believers, coast to coast, all, all over the world. We're actually getting messages all over the world. It's an amazing, amazing situation that we find ourselves in. And I just want to thank you for being a part of that. And thank you for making Sage Spirituality visible on uh, iTunes and on Buzzsprout and whatever uh, platform that you're using. I also want to ask you to go on Facebook. You can find our Facebook page, Sage Spirituality. You can like it. And also, uh, it'll help you stay updated and just stay in the middle of what's going on here. Now, today, I want to talk to you a little bit about some crazy laws and I look back at a previous edition of Reader's Digest, and there was an article about the craziest law in all 50 states in the United States, and I want to read a couple of these to you because some of them are just unbelievably hilarious. In Chico, California, it is illegal to build, own, or detonate a nuclear weapon. Now, I just want to let you know, and if you do that, you're going to get a fine of $500. Now, imagine you're going to incinerate the entire city and probably take yourself with it, but they're going to fine you $500. Or in Connecticut, you can't sell a pickle that does not bounce. Now, that's important. That's day in and day out uh, life problems there. Or in Gainesville, Georgia, in 1961, a law was enacted that stated it is illegal for you to eat fried chicken with utensils. Fried chicken was made to be eaten by hand. And believe it or not, that law in Gainesville, Georgia, was actually enforced just a few years back. So it makes me think about a, a story, really, when we're talking about laws and, and rules. We have to consider our relationship to God's law. And a lot of times... We feel like God's law is just a big, long list of do not, do not, do not, do not. And it does make me think about this story that I heard about a man walking down the sidewalk. And as he walked down the sidewalk, there was a hole in the wall. And right over top of the hole in the wall, there was a sign that said, do not look here. And an arrow was pointing down to the hole. And the man was walking down the sidewalk. He saw the sign. He thought it was a little bit crazy. And he's looking, and he kind of sees the hole, and it catches his eye. But from the other side, he hears a chant that's coming out. And there's at least 20, maybe 30 people on the other side, and they're all chanting, 15, 15, 15, 15. And as he walks past it, just curiosity is killing him, and he stops at the end of the block, he turns around, he walks slowly back, back past the hole, back past the sign, 
and he hears again, 15, 15, 15. And this time he turns around, he surveys the entire block to make sure no one's around, and he settles down on his knee, and he stares into the hole, and he gets his full face uh, all up on the hole, and he leans into it with all of his heart and all of his soul and strength, and bam, out of the hole comes a finger, and it jabs him right in the hole, and the guy falls back on the sidewalk, and he's writhing in pain, and he's grabbing his eye, and he feels like he's going to vomit. He's nauseous. It's such an incredible pain, and all of a sudden, he hears cheering come from the other side. Yeah! Yeah! And then all of a sudden, the chant changes to 16, 16, 16, 16. I don't know how many of you guys have ever felt that way. I think a lot of us have a similar story where we broke several rules and maybe had to pay the consequences. I also know a lot of people that think that no rules apply to them. You know, the people that always go to the express line at the store when they're checking out and they may have an entire grocery cart filled with uh, products or someone who just really doesn't think that uh, laws apply to them. Maybe the drive through at the local fast food restaurant, uh, the person feels like they got the right to cut around and get in front of the line. But I also know a lot of believers that think the same thing. They'll tell you until they're blue in the face that we're saved by grace. It's not by works that man should boast. And they'll tell you that the law is dead and we're now living under grace. And they'll look at you and tell you with all the confidence in the world that I'm a sinner saved by grace. I don't try to earn my salvation. No, you know, those are all true statements when you take them individually. But it's a little bit dangerous because as Christians, we were never intended to live outside of God's law. Just because we accept Jesus Christ and it's a free gift and it's grace is exactly unmerited favor. It's not something we've earned. It's not something we've done that we can grab onto. It's just something we've received because of the love of God. But that doesn't mean that the law of God has subsided or maybe some way that the law of God has been erased. God has certain rules and regulations in our life that he's placed there and he's placed there with a reason. And today we want to look at those. We want to go back to the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to read you a text today. I want to read you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through verse 20. He said, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That was Jesus who came to give us free salvation, grace-filled salvation that we receive through our faith, talking about the law of God. And he makes some pretty incredible statements there. He says, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. He also says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would serve as maybe a, a high watermark of what our righteousness should look like. And really, that these verses are pretty complex, and it's going to take us a bit to 
unwrap these, but I want to do so by, first of all, looking at the ways the Pharisees messed up with the law. The first thing I want to look at today is I want to talk to you about the way the Pharisees believed the law functioned. The Pharisees believed that the law worked to earn our salvation. It was a way of proving who was with God and who was without God. It was kind of the first form of legalism that we could talk about, maybe saying you've got to dress a certain way or you've got to do a certain thing. And, and if you do those things, then you're righteous. And if you don't do those things, then you're not righteous. But that was never the intention of the law. And, and just to prove that point, you know, the law started with Moses and over the years, the Pharisees would interpret the laws and they would add to the laws and they would twist the laws and they would take uh, uh, parts of the law and they would focus on it and they would expound on things that were really pretty basic, black and white, but they would turn them into things that God never really intended them to be. When we look at the Mosaic law, it grew and it grew and it grew and eventually it became 613 laws. An unbelievable book filled with laws, filled with minutia of details about how to keep the law. And the goal of the Pharisee was to teach the laws as a way of being judged good and to judge the goodness of the, all the community. That was their job. They were the morality police. They were walking around trying to judge everyone else in the way they were completing the laws. They were always ready to point out the rule breakers for public scorn and definitely for punishment, even to the point of death. Unfortunately, these rules varied. There was not a there was not a, a set. There was only a small portion of the laws that all the Pharisees agreed on. So it depended on which community you were in and which Pharisee you were under. And each one of them kind of had their own rules and conditions. Any of you guys ever signed up for free Wi-Fi? And you had to you had to approve or you had to accept the rules and the conditions of the Pharisee of the community that you lived in. And they varied by schools each little sector, each little community would have a variation. They would have a maybe a mutation of the Mosaic Law that they used. It reminds me of a character in a C.S. Lewis fiction book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And it says, although he didn't care much about any subject for its own sake, he cared a great deal about marks, about his grades. <laughs> And that's what the Pharisees were. They were, not really, they were not really worried about the reason we had the law. They weren't really worried about what the law was supposed to do for us. They weren't really worried about the function of the law. They were just worried about making sure they had good grades. They were wanting to make sure that they got everything done that the law said they were supposed to do. Now, an article by Brandon Crow uh, in 2018 in Christianity Today a spectacular understanding of the pharisaical understanding of the law. And he points out two big errors of the Pharisees. The first one, and, and I'm reading this word for word, he said the first thing they did is they didn't give sufficient attention to the depths of, God law, of God's law. They viewed righteousness, at least in practice, as something external. This, this is why Jesus critiques them for missing the most important parts of the law. They are whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. The Pharisees' rule-keeping was hollow. They didn't have sufficient attention to the most important parts of God's law. They also had the tendency to elevate human traditions to a position of law-like status, violating the law of God 
in the process. Now, I want you to think about that. That sounds like every legalistic person I've ever known on the planet. They take human traditions and they elevate them to a level of, of biblical law that God never intended them to be, and that's what the Pharisees would do. The Pharisees would tell you, even today, uh, there are people who are prohibited from cranking a car on the Sabbath. They're prohibited from turning on the lights because they consider that making fire, which in the biblical context was was working, and, uh, and they're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath, but I don't really believe that was the intention that God ever had for the law. The second way that the Pharisees missed the mark, uh, Crow points out, the Pharisees' righteousness was insufficient because they missed the one who fulfilled all righteousness. They not only missed the true character of the righteousness required in God's law, they also missed the role of Jesus in relation to the law. Now, I want you to think about that. First of all, they tried to make the law something that wasn't. The law was never intended to be a, uh, a barrier between us and God. It was meant to be something that would push us towards God. It was something that would protect ourselves from innate manhood, the sinful nature that we have inside of us. But the second thing that we can see here is the Pharisees were doing the work of God, but they had forgotten the God of the work. They had forgotten that the reason we had the law was actually to bring us closer to God. It was to put us into an intimate relationship with the Lord. It's like John Wesley preached several centuries ago when he said, I had the faith of a sermon, but not the faith of his son. John Wesley's admitting that he knew about legalism, he knew about laws, he knew about everything involved in keeping the law, but he didn't know the God of the law. And that was one of the big issues that the Pharisees had. And it's a problem for us today because if we just see the law and we go up and down and we try to just keep our life, we're going to continue to extend these laws and make them bigger and bigger and bigger and make them include minutia, things that God never intended them to include. So how do we get out of the mire of the Pharisees? Well, the first thing we can do is we got to realize the reason for the law. And I'm talking specifically today about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are non-negotiables in the Christian life. And we have to realize the reason God placed the Ten Commandments in our life. The commandments are given not to prohibit life, but they are given to us to promote life in a certain type of life. What Jesus said in John 10.10, life in abundance, abundant life. God's placed the law in our life so that we would have abundant life through a relationship with our Creator. Now, Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 18 points to this, and it's something the Pharisees had forgotten. Moses said, See, I have set before you today life and death, good and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go in to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today 
that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. Now, I want you to really think about what Moses was saying there. He was saying God has placed life and good and God's placed death and evil. Life and good we find through the commandments. We find through obedience to the word of God. We can know what to do in the most challenging situations of our life because God's given us a criteria. But we have to choose that. And when we choose that, we're stepping into life, life abundantly, as Jesus would say, several hundred years later. Now, Irenaeus wrote a book called Against Heresies. He wrote it about 150 years after Jesus was resurrected. And he said this. He said, Jesus commanded them to love himself and trained them to practice righteousness toward their neighbor so that man might not be unrighteous or unworthy of God. Through the Ten Commandments, he prepared man for friendship with himself and for harmony with his neighbor. This was to man's advantage Though God needed nothing from man, this raised man to glory, for it gave him what he did not have, friendship with God. But it brought no advantage to God, for God did not need man's love. Man did not possess the glory of God, nor could he attain it by any other means than through obedience to God. This is why Moses said to the people, choose life that you may live and your descendants too. Love the Lord your God, hear his voice, hold fast to him, for this is life for you in the length of your days. Now listen to this last part. This is very important. This was the life that the Lord was preparing man to receive when he spoke in person and gave the words of the Ten Commandments for everyone to hear. These words remain with us as well. They were extended and amplified through his coming in the flesh, but not annulled. How lovely of a picture is Irenaeus painting for us. He's saying God laid down the Ten Commandments to have a relationship with us. God laid down the Ten Commandments so that we would know how to live with our neighbor and we would be able to fulfill our purpose here on life, which is live in unity with our Creator. But he said, and he clarified, and I want to put emphasis on these words, that these words, the Ten Commandments, they remain with us as well. And they were extended and amplified through the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. They were by no means annulled. Now, this is just a, just a, a few decades after the resurrection of Jesus. And to be able to understand the way the early church understood the Ten Commandments, they were not to be thrown to one side or relegated as antiquated or something invented by church or by religion. These are words written by God himself on Mount Sinai with Moses. And I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the importance of God taking the time to write with his own finger these 10 laws. Now, the second thing we can do if we don't want to fall into the mire of the Pharisees is we have to realize that the commandments were given for our benefit. God knows us. I want to just take a second and tell you God knows you like you don't even know yourself. 
You may think that your best friend knows you. You may think that your wife or your spouse knows you. You may think that your children know you or people that you work with know you. Maybe even your neighbors know you. Maybe you're even an online personality and you think everyone in the world knows you. But I'm going to tell you, no one knows you like Jesus. Your creator knows you inside and out. Your creator knows the way you're wired. And I want to tell you this right now, the law that God laid out for us, he laid it out so that it would serve as a frame for our life. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows how we're wired. And he has a reason for putting these in place. I'm going to read the Ten Commandments really quick and and just go through them in a lightning flash. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord or take the Lord's name in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath and, and remember that it's a holy, holy commitment. you got to respect your mother and your father. You can't kill anyone. You can't commit adultery. You cannot steal. You cannot lie. And you do not need to covet or be envious of what your neighbor has. Those 10 rules written by the hand of God will promise, if we follow those, it will promise us that we're going to stay on God's path, but it's also going to promise us that we're not going to do our self-damage in a day-to-day life. Now, G.K. Chesterton wrote these words. He said, if the men of the world will not be governed by the Ten Commandments, then they shall be governed by 10,000 commandments. And I think that's the world we find ourselves in right now. We're afraid to say the Ten Commandments are central to our life. They're non-negotiable, not only to believers, but to society. We're afraid to say those things, and so we have to open those up to interpretation, and all of a sudden we end up with books and books and shelves and shelves of man-made laws trying to cover minutia simply because we will not embrace the laws that God's laid down, the laws that have been placed there for our benefit. Now, see, the Pharisees never understood that. The Pharisees thought that the rules were not there to benefit man. They thought that the rules were there to show and to prove who was good and who wasn't good. It was there almost as a litmus test, but God never intended the law to be that way. God intended for it to bring us into relationship with him, and he also intended it to serve as an invisible fence in our life so that we wouldn't cross over into areas that's going to cause us emotional and spiritual and even physical damage in our life. He put put them there so that we could honor him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, the same thing goes for when I give my kids rules. I love my kids. But when I give my kids rules, it's not because I want to be a killjoy or I don't want them to have fun or I don't want them to participate in something. Any parent knows that. We don't give our kids rules because we don't love our kids. We give rules because we love our kids. And we don't want our kids to, to, to hurt themselves emotionally or physically or spiritually We know how they're wired. We've watched them since they were born, and we see them now that they're 16, 17, 20, 21 years old, or 30 years old, and we know the undercurrent of their life, and we want to try to help them and keep them from going places physically, spiritually, and emotionally that they should never go. 
You're listening to Sage Spirituality. Stay tuned for part two of this episode.